sexuality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is the word of the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your truth, for the gift of your gospel. Lord, as we take a few minutes to reflect on this letter that our brother in Christ wrote to a church not so different than ours a long time ago in a different place, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be present. Be our interpreter and our teacher and our discipler this morning. As Jesus said you would, Lord, convict us of our sin and remind us of things we have forgotten and teach us new truths about your person. Don't let us skis our way out of your commands and your challenges for our hearts this morning. Use your word to cut us where we need to be cut and convict us where we need to be convicted and humble us where we need to be humbled and encourage us where we need to be encouraged that we might be more like you. Jesus, we can't do this on our own. We need you and we trust you to accomplish this work. So we pray it in your name. Amen. Man, what a text. I say that each week, just really quick. I do uh, each week. But anyway, this week I mean it. What a text. (laughs) What a text. I don't know. Like I have just been so blessed by our time in Colossians. And this little exercise for the last month of just just being in the same kind of chunk and looking at different aspects of it has been so refreshing to my heart. But here's what I want to do today. We've, we, we, we know kind of the general flow of this whole section. We've talked about 
the personal aspects of this section. We listed out the different sins that Paul talked about. We listed out the different acts of righteousness or holiness that Paul talked about. We've kind of fleshed those out. What I'd like for us to do today is take a few minutes and just really slowly kind of mosey through this list of commandments that he has for the communal life of the church. I'd like for us to kind of sit in this and take some time considering the the depth behind each commandment that we might reflect on what what that means for us as a church right now. I mean, it speaks to the church universal, obviously. It speaks to the experience of Christ's church, but it speaks to us. It speaks to this room, this fellowship, this family, your gospel community, your family, your circle of friendship and discipleship here at Red Tree. And I'd love for us to reflect on that. And I think we will land on a very evident and very good truth from God for us today. And then we'll end our time out with a a note from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, and then we'll take communion together. Sound good? Rock and roll. So we've got this list of Paul's commands to the corporate church, and there's a ton of them, so I don't know if they fit on one slide or not, but uh, did they? Maybe? There we go. There's a lot of these. I'm going to read them off to you, and then we're going to go. So this section starts in verse 13, and it goes through the end of this section. So you get, bear with one another, forgive as you've been forgiven, Put on love, which binds in harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in you. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Have thankful hearts. Do everything in the name of the Lord and give thanks to God. There's a lot. Let's kind of go back to the beginning. So we're going to start kind of our exploration in verse 13. Again, this is right after, remember he's given this image of taking off the old tunic, putting on the new tunic, personal holiness. You are, you are, like it is necessary for you as a believer, part of your call as a believer is to grow in holiness as you seek after your Lord and your Savior, right? And he gives this list that he's contextualized for this church. This is what I want to see you guys put on. Do these things. And then he transitions in verse 13 and starts talking about their communal life. So you, individual believer, you need to have a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But you, Colossian church, you need to bear with one another. Paul has basically said, look, take off your old tunic. It's unbecoming. It doesn't look good. It's out. Take it off. Put on holiness. This is individual responsibility. Regardless of your story, your family, your church, your whatever, you are responsible before God to grow in holiness. But as we individually walk on that journey, we're going to be a pain to each other. He says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. I love that phrase because it essentially opens your eyes to a really important reality of the church. Being involved in Christ's church will take some bearing. 
We're all a sinful spaghetti of mixed motivations. There are parts of us that love and honor God and desire righteousness, and there are parts of us that love our flesh and love sin and love the pleasures of this world and are pursuing those things, and it's just a mixed bag, and we're trying to sort through it and become more like Christ and trust in His Spirit to sanctify us and to remove the parts of us that are not like Him, but that journey is messy. And as we do it together, we're going to step on each other's toes, and we're going to offend each other, and we're going to have times where we're really needy and lean on each other too much, and we're going to have times where we're really prideful and push each other away, and we're going to have times where we're really hurt and angry and we lash out, and it's going to be messy. So Paul says, bear with one another. I heard a guy preach this last week at a conference for pastors, and he said, listen, a lot of you have bought the lie that ministry is just like the funnest thing on earth. He was like, don't get me wrong, it's fun, it's awesome, but if you're just having fun all day, every day, you're not pursuing the gospel. You're not pursuing the kingdom, because it's messy, and it's painful, and it takes some bearing. Bearing is not a fun thing. It means that you are taking on the burden and load and weight of someone else's junk. But Paul says, the communal life of holiness, you bear with one another. Praise be to God that we are not called to this kingdom life alone that we are not wandering through this world seeking holiness, seeking to die into ourselves and to be like Christ by ourselves. But he has called unto him a family. And we get to bear one another's burdens. We get to do that. Beloved, don't miss that. Don't miss that. The communal life of the family of Christ is messy, and it's heavy, and there's work. But man, what a privilege. And look what he says in verse 13 still. Forgive as you've been forgiven. I want to reread this little part because I think it's important. This is in verse 13. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I don't, uh, I, what Paul is saying here, this goes together with the bearing one another's burdens, is that as we seek holiness together, as we bear one another's burdens, you're going to wrong each other. You're going to sin against each other. It's not just going to be, man, so-and-so has been really beat up, he's been really discouraged, I've been having to carry his load. No, we're going to sin against each other. We're going to harm each other and do wrong. He says, if any one of you has a complaint against another, the word, I mean, the, well, what it's saying there, like, it's a valid complaint. It's not like, man, Craig is annoying sometimes. No, it's, man, Craig has wronged me and wronged my family. It's a valid complaint. He hasn't really, by the way. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. It's a valid complaint. We're going to sin against each other, not just bear each other's burdens, but actually wrong each other. And Paul says, you must forgive. You must 
And I don't want to be like alarmist or heavy-handed here, but you need to know something. The Bible speaks, the New Testament speaks very bluntly about forgiveness within the church. You forgive as you've been forgiven, period. You must. You must. Jesus went so far as to say, if you cannot offer the forgiveness you've been given to those around you in the church, then you need to question your salvation. You need to step back and question whether or not you have truly received the forgiveness of Christ. That is weighty. That is weighty. Beloved, I would, as your pastor, I would beg you, do not take this lightly and move past this and avoid a conviction or a sting of pain that you hear on these words. Do not. There is weight to this. If I talk about lack of forgiveness in your hearts and you immediately are drawing to mind names and faces, beloved, do not leave that in the dark. Invite one of your pastors, invite your spouse, invite your brothers and sisters in Christ, invite someone into that that you might find repentance. Because the Bible is very clear. You must forgive. And listen to me right now. I'm not telling you to fake that. I'm, I'm not telling you like, hey, listen, oh man, I'm really hurt by this guy. Well, I guess I forgive him. But in your heart, you're just like, death, death, death. That's not what I'm talking about. That helps nothing. I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to pretend that you've forgiven someone because your pastor said, if you don't forgive, then you might not be a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. Forgiveness is hard and it's painful. And the greater the depth of the wrong, the greater the pain and the weight of the forgiveness. And I get that. Forgiveness is a journey. And it's painful. And it takes time. But praise be to God that you've been given a family that will bear your burdens, that will walk with you. Because, beloved, you cannot ignore unforgiveness in your heart. You can't. It is poison. Do not leave that untended and assume that it will somehow go away if you can just get away from that person. You must deal with that poison in your heart. And you have been given a family to help you do that. Please, please invite us into that journey and that pain and that burden with you. We would love, we would love to help you do that. Put on love, which binds in harmony. This is verse 14. <clears throat> Above all these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love this phrase. Paul is hearkening back to the clothes language. He tells you to put on love above all else. I love this because um, in the personal holiness, he's been talking about the tunic, right? The undershirt, essentially like the underwear, right? Like put on some clean undies. You're gross. Like that's kind of, that's kind of the image Paul is giving. But here he says, above all else, put on love. And the image here is not of your tunic or your undershirt, but the man's cloak, his outer coat, which is the public part of your clothing. 
It's the utility part, the part that's useful. It's the part that keeps you warm, that serves a ton of purposes. It's the part that everyone sees. It's public. It says, put on love above everything else. It binds everything together in harmony. What he's saying is is connecting to Jesus' teaching in John 13 is that the love of the church is its public defining characteristic. Jesus said that the love the church has for for its own would be the thing that marks it in this world. It would be the thing by which people identify that is the way of Jesus, that is his church, that is his family. Look how they love each other. It is worth asking if your faith might be defined by an outsider as that kind of radical love. It's worth reflecting if our faith, us, Red Tree Church, would be defined by the kind of radical love we have for each other, if that would be our primary identifier to someone who sees us. I, uh, I don't know if any of you guys are parents to daughters. I'm a dad to a daughter, and, and Millie's the age where she loves uh, to dress herself. She's not wearing headphones right now, so she's going to figure out I'm talking about her in a second. She's at the age where she loves to dress herself, and uh, what's amazing about little four-year-old girls when they dress themselves, especially little girls like Millie, is that the outfits are amazing. Just like wild, girly girl, like if you ask Millie what her favorite color is, she'll tell you it's pink, purple, blue, and sparkles, which is just like, come on. So if she's left to her own to dress, it's going to involve rainbows and tie-dye and sparkles and unicorns all together, right? Like that's how it is. And she has this little bin of uh, uh, hair bows and headbands. I have a picture of this bin. She has this bin of hair bows and headbands. And what she'll do is she'll pick out her outfit. And the last thing she wants to do is root through her bin and find the perfect hair accessory, whether it's the unicorn horn or the sequin bow or the rainbow headband. Like what is going to bring this ensemble together? right? What is the crowning achievement of this fashion statement? And I love that about her. She's so, she's so adventurous, and she's so girly girl, and it's just, it's just beautiful to watch. But I was thinking about her headband drawer, because it really is. It's like, that's the crown of her outfit. It's the thing that pulls it all together for her, right? This is love. It's what pulls the outfit together. It's what, it's what brings everything into unity. Our love for each other is our unicorn headband. <laughs> but beloved, don't, don't miss this. Oh, don't miss this. The reason, why does, why does Paul put such an emphasis on bearing each other's burdens and forgiving each other the wrongs that we've done? Because we are to love each other. Try radically loving someone you haven't forgiven. See what that experience is like. Try radically loving someone for whom you refuse to carry their burdens. It doesn't work. If if we as a church, as, as the bride of Christ, are to be known by our radical, sacrificial love for each other, then we must be a people who bear burdens and forgive. Otherwise, the love just won't work. 
It won't, it won't bind everything together as it's meant to do. Look, look at that phrase. I mean, it's, it's an extreme phrase. Verse 14, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. When was the last time you thought about your communal expression of faith, your family, your small group, your church, and you just thought, man, perfect harmony. That's red tree. <laughs> oh, but this, this is what is commanded of the church. Bear burdens, forgive one another, bind yourself up in love. Look where he goes from here. Let the peace of Christ rule you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I'm not going to belabor this point, but this phrase, the peace of Christ, is what, this is what theologians call the objective peace of Christ. This is the theology of shalom, that on the cross, we've talked a lot about the sufficiency and finished work of Christ in this letter, that Jesus, in his victory on the cross, bought shalom. He bought peace between man and God. There is an objective reality of your relationship to your creator because of Christ's finished work on your behalf. This is the peace that Paul's talking about here. Not necessarily whether or not you feel anxious today. This is not the peace of Christ that he's referring to. He's referring to the fact that you have been bought. You have been given free and righteous standing before the lover of your soul, your creator, your sustainer. And he says, let that peace rule. This is where we get, that, that word rules where we get our English word arbiter. The peace of Christ is the ruler of your life. It is what, it is what makes the decision one way or another for you in the midst of the options open and available to you. So as you fight to put off and put on, to live in the holiness you've been called to, to bear the burdens, to discern what it means to walk in the mess of each other's lives and forgive each other the wrongs against you and love each other. He says, in the midst of that journey, the peace of Christ purchased for you on the cross, that is your arbiter. Are you wrestling with what it means or whether or not it's appropriate to engage that person or do this thing for them or love them in this way or forgive this wrong? Let the peace of Christ make that decision for you. Come on. I could go on that one all day. Verse 15, he, uh, he tells us, and be thankful. I love that. <laughs> Hold on to that because we're going to come back to that one. I don't know if you saw this, but that one's in there a couple times. Be thankful. And then in verse 16, we get, we get this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Beloved, hear this. Hear this. God has revealed himself to you and to me. The God who was unknown for ages past, the God who, who the prophets longed to see, who the, who the people of God, who Moses longed to see face to face and couldn't, the unknowable God of the creation who, who sustains all that is has made himself known to you and to me. He has been revealed 
in his word, in the person of Jesus and his finished work, and his word recorded and preserved for you and me. We are people of the word of God. You, hear this, you, Red Tree Church, should be drenched in the word of God. If, if we get together, if you show up on a Sunday morning and we spend 90 minutes together and we convince you to give up your Sunday brunch to come hang out in a middle school and we are not drenched in the word of God, what are we doing? God has made himself known. Yes, we're busy. Yes, we have schedules, we have families, we have jobs, we have obligations, we have Netflix to catch up on. I get it. But the God of the universe has made himself known to you. This should dwell amongst us richly. What is your relationship to the word of God? I know there's like not a more stereotypical cliche thing your pastor could say to you, but, but beloved, hear this. What is your relationship to the word? How, how, how richly do you dwell in it? How do you engage it? Is it, as, as, the, as the writer of the Proverbs said, is it honey on your lips? Do you study it? Do you not just study it, but do you read it for pleasure? Do you not just enjoy it, but do you meditate on it? Do you create space of silence and slowness that it might, that it might marinate into your heart? Do you memorize it? And we live in a culture where we don't have to memorize Jack. I barely know my wife's phone number. But do you memorize the word of God? Do you burn it into your consciousness? Beloved, let the word of God dwell amongst you richly. Richly. Because we are called to teach and admonish one another in wisdom. The Word of God cuts, it convicts, it challenges, it encourages. And beloved, hear this, verse, verse 16 is not written to pastors. You know, whatever, that's awesome. We have a leader. I, you know, I have training. I can stand up here, and these, this is good. I'm not telling you to fire me. Like, this, this is a good thing. But church, you, you are to teach and admonish one another in wisdom. How can you do that apart from the Word of God dwelling in you richly? What do you have to offer apart from this? I will give you a hint. Nothing. I don't care how wise you are. I don't care how long you lived. I don't care how amazing and diverse your experiences are. I really don't. I know that's mean, but we don't, we don't gather together to give each other earthly wisdom. Man, it's 2020. You can jump on YouTube or your podcast app and get all the earthly wisdom you need. We come together to give each other the word of God, to teach and to admonish. The way Paul uses these two words, he uses this, these two words together in Colossians twice, and in the, re, the way he uses them is this, inform and warn. Inform and warn. When there is an area 
of life and a believer around you who you love and you're in the active work of forgiving and you're bearing with them and you just see where ignorance is leading them down a pathway to sin and flesh and unrighteousness, it is your duty as their brother, their sister to Christ, their friend, the person who loves them and bears with them to teach them, draw them to the truth of the word. And if you know in your heart of hearts that they know, and they just don't care, or they're stuck, or they're just not acting, you admonish them. You warn them. You warn them. If you have a brother or sister in Christ, and you see unforgiveness poisoning their heart and destroying their love and their unity and their participation, you warn them. Sister, brother, you must forgive. You must. This is love. And by the way, I said it once, I'll say it again. This, is not, this verse is not written just to pastors. Beloved, this is the experience of the church. We come together. And then I love this part, verse 16. And sing. Should have had Chris come up and do this part. Sing. Sing lots of stuff. Sing psalms. Sing hymns. Sing spiritual songs. Beloved, our faith is a musical faith. Something about singing is sacred to our God. He loves the sound of our music. He just does. All different kinds. I know that's weird for some of us, right? But like, I'm, I'm pretty convinced. I'm pretty convinced that God is pleased and honored by Gregorian chants and soundless chanting of the Psalms and hip-hop music and Gaither all in the same because he loves music made for him and sung up to him. He does. I won't belabor this point, but, but he says here, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and there is a difference here. Essentially, he's saying, you sing the scripture you put, you, you let the word of God dwell in you richly and you put the scripture to song and you sing it. And then you sing songs that teach. You sing songs that teach and admonish, that, that inform our understanding of who Christ is and what the gospel is. And you sing songs that the spirit leads you in. You allow him freedom to give you utterance in the moment. You sing the scripture, you sing your teaching and admonishing, and you sing following after the Spirit. Verse 16, have thankful hearts. Put a bookmark in that one again, we're going to come back to it. In verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord. He, he wraps this section up by bringing it back to a general command. Remember, he started with this idea where he says, man, set your mind on things of heaven, not on things of earth. And then he gets really in our kitchen about a list of different sins that appeal to our fleshly self. And he calls us to righteousness. And then he says, church, 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 hear me, church. And he brings this list of commands for the church and he brings it all together in verse 17 by saying, everything you do, everything. Let me reread this. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in his name. All of life as believers is lived in the name of Jesus. All of life. Everything you do 
every inch, every aspect of your private and public thoughts, actions, and utterances are to be in conformity to the character and person of Jesus. As Jesus himself said in the great commandment, teach them to do everything I have commanded. Just hear this. You are not allowed to compartmentalize your faith. You're just not. It's not Christianity. If you mentally have a faith box and then you have a family box and a work box and a home box and a political opinions box and keep going down the list, it's just not biblical Christianity. If that's your jam, I guess that's okay, but not really. (laughs) Because it's not what the Bible describes as following after Christ. I heard a pastor say this this week. He said, Christ doesn't demand much. He just demands every single bit of you. Which, if we're honest, isn't that much. (laughs) Because there's not much to us. But you can't get around that. Everything you do. And just in case, right, just in case you made your way through this list and you somehow got to verse 17 and like some like lie of your pride was like, I think I'm actually doing pretty good. Paul, I know that was brutal, but like, I think I'm actually pretty godly. Paul's like, okay, really quick, just really quick before we're done. Everything. And you're like, oh, okay, fine. Right? And then he ends out, he ends out by saying, give thanks to God. Colossians is a short book. I don't know if you've noticed that, right? It's like two and a half pages. It's a short book. In this short book, Paul mentions or commands thanksgiving of the believer six times in the short book. He commands thankfulness and thanksgiving. Three of the six commands for thankfulness in the entire book of Colossians are in this small set of verses about the corporate holy life of the church. Beloved, I don't know, like I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I get the sense that thankfulness might be important for the communal expression of Christianity. (laughs) Right? Three times in like three verses. He says it explicitly. The life of the church, the communal life of holiness that is the bride of Christ is a thankful and grateful life. I want you to hear this, and this is where we're going to wrap this around today. I think the message of this text is very simple for us. It's a challenge, and hopefully for you it's convicting. It was for me. Hopefully this cut you in some areas of unrepentant sin of how you engage the bride of Christ, to which you've been bought and purchased and made a member. I I, I hope you took that seriously. I hope that's sitting with you. But ultimately, I think the message of this passage is this. Our life together with Jesus is a privilege. It's a privilege. I can't believe we get to do this. Do you ever, do you ever, I I don't know. Look, I get it. Like, I'm the pastor, right? Like, I have to be hyped on Red Tree. I get it. But like, I don't know if you guys ever have this experience where you step back and you think about the thing that God is doing in this community, in this family, and you just go, this is crazy. I can't believe we get to do this. 
guys, like we, we show up at a random middle school every weekend with this trailer full of junk. And like three hours later, God's people are gathered together worshiping him. They're gathered together singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and admonishing and teaching one another and loving and bearing our burdens. Like we're actually living together as the bride of Christ. And then we're done. We put all the junk back in the box and we all go to Applebee's. And it's just like, how crazy is that? We don't all go to Applebee's. If you're visiting today, please don't judge Red Tree off of the comment that we all go to Applebee's. We have better taste in food. We go to Chili's. <laughs> Somewhere Jeff Neville just perked up and he's like, mm, yeah. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? And again, I get it, right? Sam's the pastor. He taught, like, he's got, well, I, I get it, but I'm serious, guys. Man, we're a church. You guys are sinful. I'm sinful. I got to forgive you guys for a lot of junk and bear a lot of your junk and vice versa. But man, I still just sit back and go, I can't believe we get to do this. I can't believe my kids get to walk in faith and learn about Jesus surrounded by you guys and build friends and connections that this, that this is what God had for my family. Man, what a privilege. And look, there are all sorts of expressions of Christ's bride all over the world and all over the city and all over this community. And for the most part, they're all pretty amazing. Seriously. For the most part, they're all pretty amazing. But I, for one, I just sit here and go, I can't believe we get to do this. How good is our God? How kind is our God? Man, guys, I would just, I would just tell you this. I know I'm over on time and I'm supposed to be wrapping up. But man, it is a privilege It is a gift for us to walk together in life with Jesus. It is a privilege and a gift that you are the people that I get to share communion with. And I know in a cosmic theological sense that when we take the elements, I'm sharing communion with all our brothers and sisters through all of history and all the world. I get it, but you're the faces I get to look at. And I'm so grateful to God for that. So what do we do with this? We hear a text like this. It stings us in some areas. It encourages us in some areas. What do we actually do with this? Beloved, I have this thought for us, and this is how we'll wrap up. Man, if this, if this is the church, the family, that has grabbed a hold of the attention of your heart, if this, if this is the place where, where you're actually like, for whatever reason, God's just using it, and you're, and you're meeting the gospel, and you're growing in holiness, and you're experiencing conviction and community. If this, if this, man, just, just be all in on that. Just grab a hold of that. Say, God, thank you for this. Look, Red Tree is no better than any other gospel preaching, gospel proclaiming church anywhere else. In fact, there's probably a lot of ways that we're objectively worse. But man, if God is meeting you here, And this is something that is just, it's just connecting with your heart and the heart of God in you. Grab a hold of it and be all in for what God's doing because it is a privilege and a joy. I'm going to read this text from 1 Corinthians. 
He was speaking to a church that was being divided by jealousy, surrounding their understanding of spiritual gifts and the working of the Spirit. And he gave a similar analogy to them that he uses in Colossians about the church being a body. And I want to just read this to you guys because I think it It's a good thought for us to kind of close out our time. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. We were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one, but of many. So if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it would be gross. Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? You're thinking about the eyeball feet, right? And the walking That's the image I can't get out of my head. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Come on. God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. This is verse 21, hear this. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat them with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Our presentable parts, they need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to parts that lacked it. So, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now, you are the body of Christ, Red Tree Church, and each one of you is a part of it. What a privilege. You are a part of the church. God bought you, named you, and gave you identity, and gave you purpose, and placed you in the body, and hear this, you are needed. Your person, your presence, your gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses, you are a part of this beautiful, privileged thing that God is making. And we're glad you're here. So if this is your body, be all in. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back up. And we're going to give some space just for reflection. I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you guys to find some space for you to be with Jesus in this room. And if you can do that by yourself in your chair, that's fine.
you need to get up and get on your knees somewhere, I would encourage you to be bold and do that. Don't worry who sees you. If you need another part of the body to come and minister to you, if you have a burden that needs bearing, and you just need someone else's voice to pray with you, I would encourage you to do that. Mike and Michelle are going to be prayer counselors for us today. If you guys would stand up so people can see you. And obviously you can come grab any of our pastors. But I would encourage you, take some time and reflect with Jesus on what he has made you for and what he has called you to. And, 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 and let me just say this. Don't leave this space. If, if, if Jesus is your Lord and you have received his saving work, don't leave this space without just telling him thank you. Without thanking him for the privilege of the body of Christ. Take a few minutes to pray, to do the work you need to do with Jesus, and then I'll pray for us and we'll sing a song.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that we are not alone, that we are not left to wander and navigate this this thing called kingdom life. Thank you that you have surrounded us. The scripture says that there's a cloud of witnesses those who have come before us and those who are around us now and those who come after us. God, your bride, the, the, the body that you have made is, is huge. It's beautiful. God, thank you for calling us. Calling us out of death and into life. calling us out of lostness and into salvation. Buying citizenship in your kingdom and a place in your family and an inheritance alongside you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this family. This expression. with all the beautiful parts of us and all the ugly parts of us. God, thank you for building this whole thing. Thank you. It's such a privilege. God, may we be a people who are not content with substitutes, with isolation, privilege, with division. May these things sit heavy in our bellies and may we spit them up and pass them away from us. May we be a people who actually give ourselves fully to the work of your church. May we be a people who, who gladly, gladly in our own journeys of growing in holiness, that we are a people who bear each other's burdens and forgive each other trespasses and who put on your love and who are ruled by your peace and who are richly dwelling in your word and who are teaching and admonishing each other and who are living our whole communal lives under the banner of your name, God, may we be a people who are thankful. We need you to do it in us, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Beloved, you continue to respond as you need to respond. I want to invite you to sing this song with us. And when it's over, I'll come up and we can take communion together to end out our time.